This is the 343 Podcast. I'm your host, John Pronich. Welcome to the show. In 2016, Mandy Pocho did something that captured our attention. She drove all damn day just to come catch a glimpse of the work we do here at 343. She arrived just moments before we started our first ever press conference and then stayed as our whole crew wrapped up the night with a backyard barbecue at 343 headquarters. And this was an incredibly rare occasion. It's not often that Gary, Brian, Danny, Joey, Choco, Arvell, and myself are all in the same room. But this was one of those times, and Mandy was there with us. Just to give you a heads up, she tells the story, and she tells it much, much better than what I just said. So stay tuned for that. Since then, Mandy has continued to stay on our radar. She has been using her networking skills like she used to get herself down to the, <laughs> to the press conference. Uh, she's been using her networking skills to get inside of training sessions at Stanford University. And she's also been using her networking skills to get face-to-face conversations with former FC Barcelona technical director Albert Puig. Now, she is trying to get herself over to Europe to further her education. In this episode, Mandy talks about the beginning of her coaching journey, which started out in Iowa and now has brought her to California. She tells a story of how she found 343 through one of her mentors, Michael Prunty. She also tells a story about a time when she got a chess lesson from San Jose Earthquakes Development Academy director, Paul Holliker. This was a super fun interview. And after it was over, I asked Mandy if she had any experience being interviewed before because she seemed so comfortable. She said no. So it seems like she has this natural ability to just flow, which if you've followed this podcast for any amount of time, you know that flow is a very important trait when it comes to coaching. And Mandy seems to have that. If you would like to connect with Mandy, I suggest getting in touch with her on Twitter. She does a great job of posting very relevant points and interesting questions in regards to soccer. She is the type of coach and the type of person that isn't interested in surface-level conversations. She wants to drill deeper, and she wants to explore why things are the way they are, even if the topics are challenging. Like I just mentioned, she is currently trying to get herself over to Spain uh, to further her coaching education. So if you would like to help out, you can do so by visiting her GoFundMe page. I've provided a link to that GoFundMe page and to Mandy's Twitter, so if you're looking to get in contact with her, you can. Both of those links can be found in the write-up section of this podcast that is available on 343coaching.com. And just a reminder that all of this is made possible because of your support as a member of the 343 Coaching Education Program, which is actually what helps fund this podcast. So if you are a member in the Coaching Education Program, not only are you getting an education that transforms you into a far better coach from the guys that have gone through that transformation themselves and are now considered among the top in the country, but you are also helping to sustain and develop this podcast. If you are not a member and you are wondering what a 343 membership can offer you, it is the complete online resource that will help you reduce your trial and error time and help you get right to the work that matters. You learn the cutting-edge training techniques that have been proven to develop better and smarter players, better and smarter teams, and better and smarter coaches. The 343 Coaching Education Program gives you insider access to exclusive videos of training sessions and full games with additional education from ebooks, audio interviews, question and answer sessions, and online forums for networking and collaboration with other coaching members. To learn more and to explore all of the benefits of being a 343 Coaching Education Program member, and to help support this podcast, please visit 343coaching.com. That's numbers 34 and 3, coaching, all spelled out, dot com. All right, let's, uh, let's get into this episode with Mandy Pocho. I hope you enjoy. How are you? I'm doing well. You know, just taking in a pretty nice sunny day here. Nice. Tell me where you're at. Uh, So I'm in Menlo Park, Redwood City, the Palo Alto area. Um, So, you know, just south of San Francisco and I've been out here for about two years now. Nice. I'm actually, uh, I'm originally from San Mateo. So I was born in San Mateo Hospital. 
Oh, really? And, yeah, and my sister was born in Redwood City Hospital. Okay, so you're familiar with the area then? Absolutely, yeah. My dad, uh, my dad still lives in San Mateo, like right. He actually lives like right underneath the 92, um, the 92 highway that or freeway, whatever that is, that yeah. that, that goes across to the East Bay. Yeah, that's actually really close to where I'm at, so not too far. That's so that's funny. Pretty cool. Yeah. Um, all right, so I'm already recording, just so you know. Okay. <laughs> cool. Sounds good. Um, I probably should have asked you because I usually ask all the guests or all the guests, sorry if there is anything off limits. So uh, if there is anything that is off limits and we get into a, a topic, uh, you can just say stop or, or say no, or uh, and no, we can go back know, and edit that out. It's all good. Um, all, is, all is fair. Cool. These are the best types of interviews. I love, I love when people say that. So um, I want to hear you tell the story of how we first met, and when I say we, I, I mean I mean three four three because the first time that we met, you met the entire crew, uh, yeah, all all in one spot. So, tell tell me your version of that story. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I had actually just moved out to California from Iowa. Um, I moved out here with a backpack, and my mentor back in Iowa, he's a pretty cool guy, Michael. Um, it really originally introduced me to three four three, the blog, Twitter, um, kind of that whole game and you know i got out here and he sent me a message he's like how close are you like 343 is doing their first live press conference and i'm like well <laughs> um i'm about eight hours north of la but you know let me kind of reach out and see you know if there's any chances so i reached out to both gary and brian on facebook you know kind of being that random person that kind of just reaches out and hey it's not a stalker thing just trying to see what's going on um and I heard back from Brian just saying, hey, yeah, this, it's going down, you know, tonight. Feel free to come and join if you want. <laughs> um, so I'm like, OK, you know what? Michael's telling me I got to do this. I got to do it. You know, he's done a lot for me over the course of knowing him. So I uh, got my friend and we made the road trip down in one day, um, ended up waiting for a location. So we went and got some seafood at a restaurant <laughs> um, and then finally got the address from Gary. Uh, so we kind of headed into the area and we're both like, okay, like we're doing it kind of thing. Um, it was the first time like out in California really going on an adventure. So parked the car, uh, went up to the back of the house and kind of just walked in and, uh, Joey and Danny ended up, that was the press conference that it was, um, we're there. We took a seat on the couch and the kind of <laughs> the rest is history. I mean, it was just walking into a random house and doing the road trip in a day. <laughs> yeah so i, I want to I, I guess uh really paint the picture is that you drove from northern california to orange county without even knowing where your destination really was because you didn't get an address until maybe like an hour before you actually showed up right yeah yeah that's correct <laughs> i mean i was i was sitting there kind of like hoping like okay like my friend just drove down here with me we're in her car like please come through and if not well at least i'm gonna get some great seafood out of it <laughs> exactly that's so funny and and to uh hold on one second yeah uh oh, i just hit a wrong button i hope that it doesn't mess up completely um no it should be fine okay um <laughs> Sorry, I'm still trying to get used to this new recording equipment that I have now. Um, hey, you're doing better than I am. I probably hit all the wrong buttons. <laughs> it's all it's all trial and error with this thing. Yeah, exactly. Um, the press conference that you're talking about though, is super funny, and so people might remember it, but it was uh, it was actually the first LAFC LA Galaxy Classico, which other people are calling the Traffico now, but whatever. <laughs> um, but it was when when Joey Cassio and Danny Rogers were both coaching in their, their respective development academies at the time. I think it was U12s. Yep. And it was the night before the first game, actually. And so we, we put them in like a mock press conference at 343 headquarters. And it was it was a hilarious experience, but it was also like a good experience, too, because uh, both of those guys have professional coaching aspirations. And yeah. the the two organizations are, you know, two, two of the most respectable organizations in, in the United States. And... It was it was cool to kind of have that memory or to have that memory now and to have that on video. Of, you know, that was the first meeting between those two franchises. And, Absolutely. And we <laughs> we hijacked their press conference. So 
<laughs> no, it was really cool listening to both of them. Kind of, you know, I was actually just getting going and coaching club again out here. Um, I was at high school back in Iowa. So it was cool listening to them kind of talk about, you know, where their groups are at and their expectations kind of going into, you know, a bigger game at the time. Tell me about your experience in Iowa. So you said you coached high school soccer there. It sounds like Michael was a mentor. It sounds Absolutely. like three, it sounds like three four three was you know on the radar at some point. But tell yeah. me a little bit about how you got into coaching and 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 maybe take us up to the point where you actually moved to California. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I actually originally started coaching back when I was still playing club soccer, um, just working with, the, you know, like the five-year-olds, basically trying to get them corralled and just doing something that's a semblance of, you know, some type of control. Um, but I really got involved in coaching um, after I decided not to play in college. Um, you know, it was something that I regretted for a while, but coaching was something that kind of gave me an opportunity to get back involved with the game. Um, so I coached high school and a little bit more of club for the club I actually had played for at the time. So I was in college, um, coaching and I ended up meeting Michael. Um, and I was kind of struggling to kind of find my way in the coaching pathway. Um, you know, what did I believe in as a coach? Um, there were some things I liked as a player that my coaches did some things that I didn't, but it was kind of trying to navigate how do I want to go about, you know, training teams now that I have a say in how things kind of go. Um, and so meeting up with Michael really changed a lot for me. Um, he's really somebody that forced me to look at the game as a bigger picture more than just a game in that, you know, you have to do your homework, you have to do your research, you got to read, you got to connect with people, have conversations and be okay, you know, having people ask you why. Um, and that was a big thing for me is he always challenged me in my sessions, but also said, Hey, ask me why I'm doing something like it's helping make me better, but it, it's, if I can't explain it, there's something that we need to tweak and figure it out. Um, so he really kind of took me under his wing and it really helped me see the game in a much different light. Um, and so from there, you know, that's where I started reading three, four, three, um, getting on the internet. There's not as many resources available in Iowa. So the internet was a big one and having those conversations with Michael, really helped me. Um, and then as the part I told you about regretting not playing in college, um, I had gotten back from Peace Corps um, after leaving City High with Michael, um, you know, and I kind of came back and I'm like, I got to give this one last go. I got to try to play. Um, and I was 26 years old. I hadn't played soccer like competitively for eight years. And I ended up making a semi-pro team in Des Moines. Um, one of my teammates was transferring at the time to a school out in California. And as our season was finishing, uh, the semi-pro season was finishing, she needed help moving her stuff out to California. So I'm like, okay, well, I don't have work lined up right now. Let's make the trip out there. And at least I can see <laughs> California for a week. Um, and I actually attended a open training session at her college, met her coach and her coach is actually the one that we kind of started talking again. Um, and he's the one that made it possible for me to stay out in California, um, by helping me find a job coaching. That's super exciting. Um, I, I didn't, I, and again, I say this almost every episode now because I do this thing where I, I purposely don't look up anything about the new, uh, about the people that I'm going to interview. Yeah. So I learn as you guys are talking about yourselves, which is pretty cool. But, uh, yeah, I didn't, I didn't know any of that, uh, part of your story, which is super cool. I want to go back to some of the roadblocks maybe that you experienced in Iowa. Cause you mentioned that having, having the internet and having access to people kind of outside of your immediate like network or circle of, of coaches in Iowa mm -hmm. seemed like that was, that was pretty beneficial for you. So what, what do you think were some of the roadblocks for you as a young female coach in Iowa that kind of drove you to look for, you know, opportunities elsewhere? Um, a lot of it had to do with, I think it stemmed from my dissatisfaction from my own playing experience and my choices not to continue to play. Um, tell me about that though. So a lot of, a lot of times I think I, I'm one of those people as well that did not have a good playing experience or, mm -hmm. or, you know, a good coach player relationship as I was growing up. But what right. are some of the specifics that, that you didn't enjoy about that? Um, you know, I felt I th part of it was, you know, I basically threw what would a lot of people would consider an adult temper tantrum. I didn't get an offer to a school that I liked um, or that I wanted to attend. And so I said, you know what, I'm just not going to play then instead of, you know, continuing to work. Um, 
I always had siblings that were more successful for me than me as far as, you know, getting different like looks as far as ODP or different things like that. They were just naturally more athletic. Um, and I was never a player that was noticed for my athleticism. I'm slower, but I can see the field. Um, and, you know, growing up back at the time, it was still about who's bigger, faster, stronger, you know, the quintessential early nineties America and why we were so successful is we had a lot of athletes. Um, and so I was somebody that would always get overlooked for, for not having that ability, um, where, you know, the technical, the tactical, the vision things, those were my strengths. And it was something where it's like, you know, I felt I wasn't being recognized and hindsight is always twenty twenty, of course. Um, you know, I obviously wish I would have kept working and grinding, but I made a choice to quit and it's something that stayed with me, but something that I think has really propelled me into a better direction for the remainder of my life based off that single moment and decision. So how have you used that then to help kind of kickstart your coaching career? Cause this is actually kind of new for you. If I'm, if I'm not mistaken, being out yeah, here in, in um, California, right. And, and just starting like two years ago. Yeah. So I, this is the first time I've been able to really kind of focus on this being my profession. Um, and so part of that is, is like, I get to go into every single training session or, you know, just even watching a game and I get to see and look at different things. I get to see players who excelled in areas where I don't, I get to see players who have a similar type of skill set, you know, tactically where maybe they have a great vision, but they don't have, you know, they have a little bit deficiency in the athletic area. Um, and it's kind of working and putting those pieces together. Um, you know, I've talked with, uh, I've had an opportunity and I'm very grateful for this. Um, talking with Paul down with the earthquakes, uh, development Academy. Um, and you know, we've talked about how we both kind of see soccer, like a game of chess. Um, and there's a lot of different moving pieces, <laughs> pieces kind of gain more importance throughout a match versus some others. So, you know, certain times you need those athletic players, but at other times, like, it's not the same where you can just build an athletic team. You have to have these different pieces that you can utilize. Um, and being out in an area in California where it's a, it's a hotbed, essentially, um, you get a lot of different variety from those players. And so from my experience of wanting to have, say, the athleticism, but only having, you know, the technical, tactical side, um, I got to see the game differently. And I had to slow myself down to to kind of be able to do that. And that's really aided me as a coach because I do have to slow down and be able to understand that you have to have a little bit of both. Um, and having different dynamics is a, is a very good thing. Are you actually a chess player or did Paul kind of reel you into that chess conversation? Well, see, here's the thing. So <laughs> I grew up, my brother had a chess board and I would always be like, okay, let's play chess. And nobody ever really wanted to. So like, I understand how to play the game. Like, you know, pieces can make certain moves, so forth and so on. But when uh, Paul and I started talking about that, you know, he has like all these like opening moves, you know, closing moves, <laughs> middle of the game. And I'm just like, my mind is kind of blown now. You know, I, it's, it was more like checkers to me in a way when I first thought of chess. But then it's like you think about like how you open a game or how you close a game or, you know, how you're orchestrating your entire match based off a certain move. Um, and so that kind of really, you know, inspired me to kind of look more into different things and how I look at the game. Like, you know, the first 10 minutes, the last 10 minutes, those are your opening and closing. And, you know, how do you interact with each and every piece in each and every game? That's a very, very good analogy. And I'm, I'm super glad that Paul shared that stuff with you. So for, for people that are listening right now, she's talking about Paul Holliker, who has been a guest on this show. He's actually one of my very first guests on the podcast and Paul has presented at our in-person events and, and yeah, he's, he's at San Jose earthquakes now, but that's a, one thing that you said specifically stands out a lot. So you thought you were thinking of, of the game as checkers when Paul was really playing chess is, is yeah. kind of what it, what it sounded like. And, and that's a very good analogy for a lot of, I think, American soccer. I think a lot of people are, are, you know, they think that they're playing chess, but they're playing checkers. And, Absolutely. and I'm, I'm curious how, uh, like if there, if there's anything specific now about like that opening 10 minutes that you, that you do, or that you see differently after having those types of conversations with Paul. Well, yeah. I mean, like I even look at like how we train and everything and you know, how I'm engaging players from the start of a training session, you know, like 
it's always different with kids, obviously, work versus working with, you know, higher level, you know, adolescents or, you know, professional athletes. But, um, you know, making sure that, you know, you're setting a tempo and a tone every time you step onto the pitch. Um, that's been something that I've been cognizant of now, you know, going into my sessions or going into a game. Um, you know, I give tasks as far as like what we're working on for the day. So that way the players are at least kind of like thinking about it as we're doing our warm up. Okay. I should be focusing at least a little more on this. So they're a little bit more aware, um, of different things, especially, you know, they're coming from school and different things. Um, but no, like I think about checkers and like, so the pieces, you know, obviously only can move forwards, you know, it's a very direct, it's quick. It's kind of sloppy in a way where chess, you actually have to contemplate different moves that each piece can make, um, you know, and how you can strengthen a certain stronghold in the center of the, ch of the chess board. And that was one thing that he really pointed out is who controls the middle. And it's so relevant to the game of soccer and how different pieces can move forwards and backwards. You have the lateral movement as well. Um, so it's been really interesting to kind of think about it in those terms. And with chess, maybe, I, I don't know if Paul talked about this specifically, but in chess, you you basically plan ahead, right? So you're, you're planning yeah. like two, three, four moves ahead. Is you're that... setting that opponent up for exactly what you want. And that's been a lot of like what people are trying to relate back to Pep as well and what he's doing and what he has been doing from Barca to Bayern to, to City now is you're really just inviting that opponent into an area you want to expose them. Do you talk about this with your players? Um, you know, it's something where I don't exactly use chess per se. Um, it's, it's kind of difficult to get my 12 year old girls to, to really uh -huh. buy into that. <laughs> um, and that's kind of one of the things that it's been a little bit of a struggle is, you know, I've worked with boys out here as well as girls. Um, and the boys are all about like, yeah, we watch soccer on TV. It's fantastic to see this and this. And it's like, you know, you talk to the girls a little bit. And they just really don't watch the game. And so I think that's where you see like a lot of lack in like the soccer IQ terms and understanding how you can transition in a moment of, okay, how do you make yourself more valuable? How can we control this? How do we invite pressure in? Or, you know, how do we get out of that pressure? Um, and so it's right now it's kind of encouraging them to watch more soccer. I mean, we're right down the road from Stanford um, and, you know, if there's one team in the country that I can say, please go watch. I mean, I think Paul Ratcliffe has done an absolutely exceptional job with the players that he's brought in. And, you know, they're, they're working on a lot of different things that we can implement as well. But as far as a women's standard games, he has players that can think and see the game as it's ebbing and flowing. So I want to, I want to really go back and, and, and pick your brain about the, the language that you use. And it sounds like, maybe there's a difference between uh, your girls teams and your boys teams. But if you're trying to translate that message about checkers and chess to mm -hmm. younger players, what, what type of language are you using with them to get those messages across? Um, I try to be as consistent as I possibly can throughout the board. And I ask the girls to be consistent with the language that they're using as well. So we're kind of all on the same page, you know, it could be something as simple as, you know, just saying like are you saying drop are you saying step like making sure we're using those terms so it's not just up or step or it's it's a concise term so that way every player is on the same page um you know it's talking about recovery runs or you know different things like that um i know some coaches will say okay play channels play half spaces and it's making sure every single term is something that they understand um so one of the other terms you know that paul and i've talked about is the direct game channel um, and that's something that he kind of brought up from the French course that he was able to take, um, you know, over in France with the Federation there and making sure the players understand that it's not just like a one single channel that you're closing. Like it's an ever changing type of channel based off where the ball is, based off where you're at on the pitch. Um, so just trying to make sure that there's obviously leniency as far as how terms can be interpreted, but the language is concise and that we're using the same terms. That's always super interesting to me. And, and more so recently after taking one of the USSF courses, uh, language, and I should say working with uh, very young recreational players, uh, language is a, a big thing that I'm paying attention to. Whereas before I wasn't paying as much attention to it because I just had one team of 
uh, older teenage players. And so I feel like the, there wasn't as much of a language barrier. But as you kind of move move down the ladder into the younger age groups, finding that common language with those players is actually super important. So having having somebody or ha- having somebody like you actually that just explained how you do it with your teams and your players and, and having a common language amongst them is, is super important because that doesn't necessarily translate into, uh, you know, what another coach is saying or doing with their team. So as long as you yeah. kind of have your language within your own team, then I think you're okay. So, yeah. And I think part of it, like it's been for me as well as like, obviously I know these kids are coming from different coaches. They'll go on to different coaches. Um, but making sure we talk about, you know, are these terms synonymous or, you know, is there a different meaning? So they understand that, okay, this is what we use, but this is kind of what it is. So if they go on to a coach that uses completely different terminology, it's not something where it's like, Oh my God, I had to learn something all over again. And they're kind of, you know, bashing their head into a wall, trying to relearn something completely different. They have the ability (laughs) to kind of adapt and think for themselves. That's good. That's smart. I want to go back now to another thing that you mentioned and mm-hmm. a reason I think why you've continued to stay on my radar, not that my radar is anything special, but, uh, <laughs> but you've I feel conti- pretty privileged though. <laughs> not at all. No way. Um, you've continued to stay on my radar because you do something very similar to what I did and what a lot of coaches, uh, or sorry, not a lot, um, yeah, I should take that back. I should, I should actually strike that completely. Not a lot, not enough coaches do what you're doing, which is you seek out opportunities to go watch training sessions from other coaches. So you mentioned that you've met up with Paul Holliker, that you've gone to watch Paul Ratcliffe train. Uh, yep. You 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 drove eight hours just to come meet Gary and Brian. <laughs> um, but you you've sought out these opportunities to to go and learn and further your education, where a lot of people like to stay yep. inside their own bubble. And that is one reason why you've continued to be on my radar. I'm really curious of what, uh, when you actually started to find value in doing those types of things and, and how you went about establishing these relationships with people. You mentioned that Facebook was the way that you connect with Gary and Brian, but I'm really curious how you established a connection with Paul Holliker and Paul Ratcliffe or maybe other people that you've, you've connected with in Northern California. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So one thing that I try to remind myself every day is that the comfort zone is where greatness goes to die. Um, And that's something I tell. Good quote. (laughs) (laughs) That's something I tell my girls as well. So like, if you're making mistakes in training, guess what? I expected. I want you to try, and you're gonna fail. But it's not really a failure as long as we continue to work through it. Um, And so with that, it's kind of, I have to, I have to know, like for myself in order to get better, I can't remain in that comfort zone. So I can't just seek information that's going to affirm everything that I believe. I need stuff that's going to challenge me um, because I know that's how I'm going to grow. And a lot of that, like I said, comes back to Michael and the way he asked me to challenge him because he knows that that's a way in which he can grow. Um, Is if he has somebody there that's kind of saying, Hey, why do you do this? Like, okay, I don't think this works. What can we do to fix it? Or what are your thoughts? Um, And it's not it's taking that as, you know, positive criticism in that, okay, I can readjust and reevaluate what I'm doing or it's reaffirming, okay, this is what's working and why it's working. I have a why behind it. Um, And so a lot of it out here, like I said, started like so everything with uh, Brian and Gary was Facebook. But then um, Michael actually said, hey, you know, are you anywhere close to San Jose? Like you should see like what Paul's up to if you get a chance. I really like reading his stuff. (laughs) And so I'm I think, just like, I, I think you know, Michael needs a, Michael needs to get a map because, yeah, I mean, <laughs> well, I think what I need to do is bring Michael out here and let him kind of, you know, get after these people a little bit because, you know, he's been an absolutely incredible influence, not just in my coaching career, but in my life as well. Um, and so like, he's like, you know, if you get a chance, like look him up, read him up and stuff like that. And so I actually reached out to Paul on Twitter, just saying, Hey, like if you have some time, if you wouldn't mind, I would love to pick your brain a little bit. Um, and he was very gracious and kind to meet up with me. Um, and so that kind of started that whole endeavor. Um, as far as, you know, everything with Stanford, you know, it was just sending out emails. I mean, I sent a couple emails to assistant coaches. I sent one to Paul. Um, you know, I've taken a, a coaching class that was out at Stanford. So I'm kind of just, in a way, it's kind of like harassing people. Um, <laughs> but trying to be respectful about it in the same way and understanding, like, it's okay if they say no but it's worth at least taking a chance. 
Um, and that's kind of what I try to relate back to my girls. Like if you're not taking that chance, you're not ever going to know. Um, Absolutely. so, you know, it's being okay with getting no and knowing you're going to get no's along the way, but continuing to push through that and, and keep striving to, you know, reach out to people. Um, you know, watching those sessions has been absolutely incredible. Um, I got to watch Michael run his with the varsity team and I would assist in those, but then I had the opportunity to integrate, you know, what I liked, um, into my own sessions with the JV team. Um, and so a lot of it was like, we, you, anybody can go online and look up, you know, activities and drills and so forth and so on, but it's, how is the message being delivered? What is making it effective or what is something that's lacking? Um, you know, it, nobody can tell you online, this is what you need to say or pick and choose these moments. You know, why are coaches selecting certain moments and finding great success with their teams? Like, what is it about a moment that makes them stop and address it? And how do they deliver that message? Um, and so that's why going out and watching sessions has been a big part for me. And you recently took a course. I don't know if it was actually a course or not. Maybe you can ex- explain exactly what it is, but something with Albert Puig. So yeah, uh, it a was guy a that, positional play. Yeah. So t- tell me a little bit about that experience. And then I, uh, I'm going to transition that into one other topic I want to, I want to get into. Yeah, Absolutely. Um, so NorCal does actually a pretty good job with coaching education and they just had a one weekend event, um, on positional play with Puig. Um, and I can't exactly remember. It was about an hour drive to get there, but you know, it's not too bad in an early morning hour. Um, and so it was just more so about, you know, you got a couple classroom sessions with him. He would show you some videos and, you know, with Puig being part of Barcelona and knowing Pep and everything, we also got to watch a couple of the Man City training videos. Um, so that was pretty cool to see. But just seeing how somebody at such a high level was able to deliver some information as far as, you know, how he would work with, you know, youth players at Barca when he was there, you know, talking about a young Jordi Alba or Messi, you know, Iniesta even. Um, it's pretty incredible, like the simplicity in which the messages are delivered, but the freedom in which players are getting to execute. And I think that's the thing that I carried most away from everything with Puig. And the reason why I wanted you to just even mention that and some of the experiences that you've had in Northern California, and you've only mentioned, I think maybe a handful of experiences that you've, that you've had and that you've sought out. But mm-hmm. you you are actively seeking out another opportunity to further your education. So I want you to kind of tell people what what your plans are and uh, what you're what you're kind of doing to get yourself to that next step as well. Yeah. Um, so thankfully, um, I actually got an opportunity to speak with Puig um, at the coaching symposium. Um, it wasn't something that kind of you know, I went out and saw it at that point. Um, we were asked not to approach him, but he actually came up and talked to me a little <laughs> bit. Um, I think I was one of two females out of like the hundreds of male coaches that were there. So that might've had a little bit to do with it on being on my side. But, um, you know, he was talking with me and he said, you know, mentioned if you get a chance to go to Barcelona, like, please let me know because, you know, he still has some connections within La Masia to be able to go and see the teams train. And I'm, I was just talking about like the academy teams and specifically the women's team as well. Obviously the first team is fantastic and sensational. Um, and we all should aspire to be able to watch the great Messi. but um, watching the youth teams train and how we can translate that into, you know, furthering success in America and how we instruct our youth players. Um, that's what I'm really after. Um, I've had a lot of opportunities to watch, you know, what coaches do here in America. I've been a part of the experience growing up as far as, you know, playing, but I'm not very familiar with what makes Europe so successful and how do they approach every single day? And what does that kind of look like? I have an image in my head from stories that I've heard and different things like that, but being able to see it firsthand is what I'm really looking for. Um, And so I'm currently working on fundraising currently to try to get myself um, over there to be able to watch um, the academy teams and women's team train and play. Do you have a, like a target date that you're, that you're looking to get over there? Um, It would most likely. So I've been kind of working on that. Um, 
unfortunately I've had some family stuff going on as of late that has changed my original target date. Um, which is why this spring is now out, but I am looking to hopefully by the winter be able to, um, go over there and still continue to see, see that opportunity out. I'm super thankful that you did not say summer because so many coaches and so many players make the mistake of going overseas and trying to, you know, find educational opportunities during summer. And they don't, they, they either forget or don't realize that summer is really summer there. Well, off season. And, yeah. And, and they're, it's off season time. Yeah. And those, those academies, they really do shut down. Like there, there is no activity from the first team to the youth teams. Yep. Um, and, and yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm stoked to hear you say that you're going to go or that you're shooting for this winter. Cause that'll be a super exciting time. Um, yeah, I, absolutely. I'm, I'm aware that, uh, that you have a GoFundMe page. So I'm going to ask you for, to, to text me that link so I can put that in the write-up of this podcast. Well, and thank if, you. If people uh, want to help you continue on your journey, they uh, they can click that link and, and find out more and, and learn more about you. Um, and yeah, I, I was super stoked to get you on this podcast because number one, I've... Like I like I said, I respect your harassing skills <laughs> or your ability to to kind of put yourself out there and seek out those educational opportunities. And I think that's super important, especially for a young coach, especially for a young female coach, like you mentioned, that was, you know, you're one of two coaches that was surrounded by hundreds of male coaches. So I, I can't even begin to imagine what that feels like. Um, but I know that it it is basically the equivalent of just sticking your neck out there and, and hoping for the best. So, well, um, thank you. Yeah. And I wanted to make sure that, that we do whatever we can to kind of get you or help you on your, on your coaching education journey. And I know that for a fact that a lot of coaches are, are in the same boat and they're going to, they're going to resonate. The story of, of yours is going to resonate with them as well. So, uh, I would anticipate quite a few people reaching out to you if, if, for anything else, it just give you a high five, maybe. But <laughs> hey, you know, high fives are fantastic. It's a great way to start and end the day. <laughs> so no, I greatly appreciate it. I mean, like I said, even coming down to SoCal that first time and meeting with you guys, and you know, sitting with the barbecue and having conversations, that was one of the highlights for me. You know, um, within my time here, most definitely. <laughs> I, I mean, forgot. I forgot that we actually barbecued. You, you literally yeah, that met was a great barbecue. Yeah, you literally met the entire team. So I think it was me, Gary, Brian, Joey, uh, Danny, and even Arvell was there. So that was yeah. that was a rare occurrence that we were all in one room together. I was very privileged to be a part of it. So I was I was kind of like that giddy kid on Christmas morning, like just waiting to open those gifts and like realizing you got everything that you had ever wanted. <laughs> so funny. <laughs> That's so funny. Um. Yeah, I'm. I, I guess uh, I'm. I'm curious if there was anything that you kind of had in the back of your mind that that you wanted to talk about, or that you thought I might ask that I didn't ask. Uh, so I'm gonna kind of just throw it to you and and yeah. see if there was anything on your mind that you didn't get a chance to talk about. Well, so like I know you recently took the C course, um, and still kind of like working on finishing everything within that. And I, I sent you a couple messages. We talked a little bit about you know your experience with that, but. Um, you know, I, I hear a lot of coaches say like, just get your licenses done, even if it's in, like, if you completely disagree, whatever it might be and kind of what your thoughts are having been an experience, like your experience with that. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I keep coming back to, you know, obviously the price of the, the educational experience that you get through United States Soccer Federation. So mm -hmm. it, it's a, it's a big price tag and it, and it requires a lot of, uh, time and it requires travel for a lot of people and um, not everybody can set aside 10 days to you know go on this educational experience and so mm -hmm. I, when I when I evaluate it from from that lens and what you actually get out of it I it just I struggle to find $1,700 plus all the other expenses uh, of value in that and so when I compare it to something like the 343 platform and I'm not I'm not just saying this to you know plug our own product I I uh, truly, truly believe this, that if you have yeah. access to something 365 days a year, um, 24 hours a day online, and you have somebody like Brian, who's mic'd up and, and coaching his real sessions, uh, his, his real games and, and question and answer sessions and, and blah, 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 blah. Right. When you have right. that available to you for $300, 
versus having to spend 10 days in a, in a lecture style um, like a classroom, I guess, where you, you basically see the content once and it's gone. Right. I, I just, I, I, I really, really struggle to find value in that. And was there, were there valuable moments of this e-course? Absolutely. Like absolutely. There were like little gold nuggets here and there. But I, I think even just last night, somebody mentioned like, oh yeah, like there, there were gold nuggets. It's like, I can't, I can't justify spending $1,700 for gold nuggets. Um, right. You know, gold, gold nuggets, you you can, you know, 50 bucks a pop or something like that if you want. But um, yeah, o- overall, I think maybe I'm, maybe I'm jaded, but you just have to, if, if your goal is to progress up the American soccer coaching ladder, you need your licenses. And Gary said it too. I've said it, uh, I've said it as well. You need to go through and you need to, you need to jump through the hoops, whether you like right. it or not. You, you, will you learn something along the way? Absolutely. Um, is it going to be something they teach you? Maybe not. Is it going to be something that you don't like and, and you end up learning from in a different aspect maybe you know for me that that's that seems more like what i'm what i'm getting out of it um but yeah uh that god that was a that was a rant but one of the, <laughs> one, one of the things specifically that i really really did enjoy about the course and i wish that more coaches would put themselves in this position uh within their own true environment but is is being mic'd up and, and videotaping yourself whether yeah. you're coaching coaching a session or coaching a game and then listening and watching yourself coach because that is a very, very, very uh, useful and powerful tool. So again, I come back to was that worth $1,700? Probably not, but I did enjoy that part of the course. Yeah, no, it's definitely enlightening and very humbling as far as uh, what you hear yourself say. Um, that much I know. But um, I guess like my question then was like, so like, as far as like, so I went to school, I have student loans that I still pay. And I think part of what my <laughs> debacle is with all of that is, you know, I have these bills that I'm paying like everybody else. And like, so it's no slight on that, but it's like, how do I value? Yes, I want to progress, but to have an opportunity, obviously to go overseas at Barcelona, like how do you pass up that type of opportunity, even though, you know, it's not a license that progresses you on the pathway. And I think that's my biggest struggle is I know what I, I think I can get out of going to La Masia and watching those teams train and having a bigger impact on the kids that I work with here, but then being told, well, you need this license in order to do that. I think that is definitely something that American soccer or USSF needs to address because there's a lot to be said about the work that a coach does on the field and right now that work that any coach does on the field is not necessarily valued in a way that would help them progress up the ladder so it's like you can you can for lack of better terms you can be pigeonholed into uh you know a bracket or an age group or something like that and your your results on the field don't really get you anywhere and that deters you. And, and again, you kind of just brought it up right now. It's like that, that could deter you from seeking out like a real educational opp- opportunity in Barcelona mm-hmm. or in Germany or in England or, or wherever, right? Um, right. Where th- the experience that you might get in Barcelona might actually translate to a better, you know, better results or, or better work on the field. But instead of being able to, to, to see value in that experience, you have to weigh your other option of, oh, I really need this particular coaching license in order to get me to this destination that I want to be at. And mm-hmm. I, th- I think that's a real problem that the USSF needs to figure out or needs to address. And immediately, I mean, one thing that comes to mind is that there, there needs to be, uh, there needs to be a true pyramid at all levels. Yep. And absolutely, you know, that, that would be one way for people to kind of show their own work now, are our licenses valuable? Absolutely. In other countries, mm-hmm. they've you know they they required uh, you know Zidane before he could coach the first team to go get his UEFA licenses, right? But UEFA right. licenses are much more um, available. I think is the right word. Um, okay. And, and price wise, and as far as like scheduling goes, they're 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 the courses take place more frequently. Um, they're more accessible. They're they're cheaper. So th- those are things. Those are things that. I think our federation needs to address as well as creating the proper arena for these competition ideas and rewarding the difference in ideas, not necessarily making 
their license or their education and their products uh, the requirement to, to move to the next level. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree with that. It's uh, something that we'll continue to kind of face over the next several years, I think. Um, but I do know a lot of coaches, you know, especially like when you find hotbeds like Northern California, Southern California, I mean, you have places in Texas, um, you know, you find a lot of those coaches who have a lot of good experiences and that's translating into how they coach and how they're interacting with players. And I think that's where a lot of it starts from as well. Absolutely. One of the people that you should definitely get connected to, if you haven't already are, um, well, not, not just one of them, but all of them, all the Zemer brothers. So the Zemer brothers yeah. are, are people that have, have done a great job of bringing coaches on educational experiences. And I, I want to say that they go during your, your target date. So I think they go like either late November or beginning of December, every single year they go to Spain, they go to uh, Holland and maybe a couple other countries as well. But um, you could, uh, you could definitely hit up Paul Holliker about his experiences with the Zimmer brothers. Cause I think he's gone two or three times now with those guys, but, uh, but they're all they're Those, those are all great guys. I think Ben Zimmer's maybe the president of NorCal premier and, okay. and then, yeah, his brothers, they all, they all do something up there. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, I'll definitely have to reach out and see, I mean, like I said, um, I'm not afraid to kind of stick my head out there. And if I get told no, it's, it's okay kind of thing. Um, it's, it's the one thing you have to get used to is, is failing and learning how to kind of pick yourself back up from it. Um, but no, it's, it's been great getting to just see everybody work. I mean, I had an experience, uh, working with, you know, um, Yvonne, he was a coach at the high school I coached at this, this past, uh, winter, um, you know, learning different things from him. It was, it's just little different pieces that all kind of come together and, and helps you paint your big puzzle piece for yourself. Um, and that's kind of one thing that I've learned. It's like, I know some coaches really excel, like you're great, you're great at teaching a press. That might not be my area of expertise. Um, and it's not maybe necessarily something I want to really focus on, but can I pick little things up from you to kind of implement and make it my own? That's actually, but, that's actually one thing, another, another thing that I took away from the C course, which I thought was a positive, not necessarily because, because the, the conversations were positive, but, um, you, you get put in a situation where you have to work in groups and mm-hmm. you, you have to watch a game, you know, with your group and then you have to kind of, everybody kind of has to give their ideas. And so th- that moment when everybody's kind of telling uh, telling telling the group what they saw is very eye opening because it's a it's a moment where you oh, I'm trying trying to figure out the right way to say this so everybody sees the game differently and that moment puts that on full display because you watch the same exact game and then you're instructed to talk about it with your group and you could have three four five six different completely different opinions yeah. right and so you might agree with some of it. And you might not agree with some of it, but you're definitely going to take something away from it. So I think that that experience in the C course was actually a plus. So that's really cool. Yeah, I mean, it, it's hard. I mean, when you completely disagree with somebody, it's like, okay, we can agree to disagree, but can I learn something from how you're seeing it and open myself up to at least explore that idea? You know, yeah. I think as a young coach, I was very adamant and refused to kind of do that, and that really hurt me early on. Um, you know, kind of just saying like, no, I have to stick what I'm doing or different things like that. Um, and like, that's one thing that I've kind of tried to open myself up to a little bit more. It's like, it's okay to disagree, but can you see what they're trying to say and put yourself in that type of, you know, model or whatever else, that idea and what can you gain from it in a way that helps you become better? Um, even if it's something that it's, you know, you completely disagree with, can I figure out a way to expose a team that maybe is a purist in that form? Um, it's been different. Uh, it's definitely very, very competitive up here as well. And it's kind of no holds poker up here in my, in my (laughs) opinion. Yeah, no, I know what you mean. Well, you seem, you seem to have your head on your shoulders, Mandy. And I, I was super excited to finally get this interview in the books because it's been a long time in the making. I think we've gone back and forth now for like months, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. It's, I mean, you have different things that come up, whether it's Champions League or you know different <laughs> things. I mean, you have to be able to watch those games. And that's something that, 
you know, I think coaches need to make more time for as well if they have the ability to is just to watch high level soccer. Exactly. It's so funny that you mentioned that because even like with my own friends or with my former coworkers and things like that, and I, I was the manager of a, of a brewery for a while, but mm-hmm. I, I would purposely like schedule out time and I would say that I was working, but I, I would make myself unavailable during Champions League or during uh, World Cup games or, or things like that. Yeah. And so having to explain that to like a friend or a coworker or a boss <laughs> or something like that, like, hey, like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm unavailable from 1145 a.m. until uh, 2 p.m. On, on Tuesdays and Thursdays or Tuesdays and Wednesdays. Like, it's difficult sometimes. They don't understand, like, that that means, like, like that is work. Like, watching those games is, is work. It's, it's not fun. So... No, it it definitely is. And it's like your mind is constantly going. It's not that I'm just, you know, like sitting back and relaxing and, you know, feet are propped up. It's like trying to pick and see different moments and figuring out the why. Um, And that's one thing that I keep trying to figure out and making sure that it translates to my my girls mostly is, you know, can you explain the why? Do you know why? Um, Because that drastically impacts their ability to make decisions. Well, that's a big part of the C course. So you're you're set up to uh, to already pass that course if you're already asking <laughs> those types of questions. So that's good. Thank you for listening to another episode of the 343 podcast. And thank you to Mandy Pocho for coming on the show and for sharing her stories and her experiences. I really appreciate her time and I really appreciate her dedication to making herself better, making her players better, and for helping other coaches get better as well. If you would like to find out more information about the 343 coaching education program that also helps make coaches better, or helps coaches along their journey of getting better, you can find all of that at 343coaching.com. And just a reminder that it is that program, the 343 Coaching Education Program, that helps to sustain and develop and fund this podcast. So if you like hearing interviews with Mandy and with Tom Beyer and with Ian Lane and Joey Cassio, just know that that program is what helps support and fund this podcast. Here is Colton Bly to talk about his experience with the 343 Coaching Education Program. Like you have to, if you want them to adopt a behavior, adapt a behavior, you have to rehearse and you have to choreograph. And when I, like I said, when I first heard that from Brian in the Brian in the introductory course, I'm like, that makes so much sense. Seeing his uh, at the time Chivas players doing their building out of the back choreography, and then all of a sudden that changing to a game clip where they are doing that and they are having success and they are able to you know break lines into the midfield or pull the opponent out of shape, whatever it works and that's one thing that i've taken and not just in the form of building out of the bag but also in the attacking patterns and even in the defensive moment of the game uh running through rehearsed movements on how our how we press when we're defending in the attacking third or how we defend as a block and where all players need to be to keep our you know horizontal and vertical compactness in the mid in the middle third of the field when we're defending so the benefits of rehearsing these things is huge you see it translate to the game and it helps your team you can find out more info by visiting 343 coaching.com that's 343 coaching all spelled out.com All right, we will catch you guys next time here on the 343 Podcast.